Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Vierman. We have our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, who's changed his hair. This is kind of, we've done a promo video about the the hair. You don't walk around like this? It's cool. It's it's like Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai. Yeah, you look amazing right now. I've never been able to tie this up myself. Uh, Alex is out of the house on a walk with Lou right now, and she's the person who knows how to actually do it. So this took me about 15 minutes to figure out <laughs> for our but. listeners he has like a like a bun on top but then in the back his hair is cascading like a wonderful waterfall yeah i couldn't get this up i feel like you of our friends shane have, have the most like movie star or like unique like memorable look i think we have a lot of handsome like friends i don't think you're the hottest of our friends i think peak is probably objectively <laughs> okay. hotter than you uh okay. maybe sean dawson but in terms of like distinct it'd be funny if you just kept naming guys max that are hotter. <laughs> I, I always like starting at the top of the hill and then just <laughs> kicked down it <laughs> no but you're no, a movie star no memorable well you're not ugly you're a character, character actor <laughs> well no but it's true but just looking at you right now you look like you could be in the pages of you know us magazine or people magazine it's like oh so-and-so on their day off or a bad guy in home alone or <laughs> yeah no you look and, and just i think that shirt's making you look more tanned or something as if you've oh. been to the beach or maybe just the lighting in your oh, room yeah. right now could be uh, yeah. but it looks pretty cool i will say though um it's making me think of uh, of our hot friends. Sean Dawson sent me a Snapchat the other day of him playing the acoustic guitar, and his hair is like long and beautiful right now. And Sean, as we know, is is sneakily the best lead singer out of all of us. Like, and I and if, really, so Mike is a great lead singer. I'm a lead singer, but I think Sean, if he wanted to be, could be the best hunkiest mm-hmm. lead singer in our friend group but sean is too cool and doesn't want it doesn't need the doesn't need the attention but anyway he was playing an acoustic version of uh you only live once uh, that stroke song <laughs> yeah and you, like yeah. the real vibe version what what movie is yeah. that in like there's an alternate version of that somewhere song. yeah the sophia coppola movie yeah and then and then he just finishes the the video and he goes the early 2000s were horny <laughs> or something like that. So funny and handsome. Damn it. Funny, yeah, he's got a great voice. He too. used to actually get uh, physically compared to, I think his name's Tyson Ritter, the singer yeah. of All American mm. Rejects. People used to say he looked like that guy. Well, yeah. he, he, he started a rumor that people were actually mistaking him for Tyson Ritter. <laughs> And he will he will say that he signed autographs for Tyson, yeah. <laughs> Which that's questionable to me. You know, sometimes people do say like, "Oh, Max, like, what's like, what's it like to be the lead singer? How did you get to do it? Or like, how did you know you'd be the lead singer?" I'm like, listen, the only difference between the lead singer and the other guys in the band is that the lead singer wanted to be the lead singer. That's the only difference. Like, no, I don't think. Come on. No, no, no. I think it's true. I mean, I think there's. Here's the thing. I think. Sure, you can say Bono has a transcendent voice that's much better than The Edge's voice. Sure, I think Bono is an elite category of singer. But when you think about a lot of other lead singers, if you would actually be like A, B, their voice versus like the lead guitarist, I don't think it's necessarily that much better. I think the guy, the lead singer has more practice and wants to do it. But I just, I think that like Mike and Tony, if they really wanted to and they gave a shit they and, and they kind of mm-hmm. like had the chutzpah to do it, they would be a lead singer. It's just it's just wanting to do it. So that's why we think that the lead singer is typically the best looking person because the best, not in your case, Max, you're like your top five in the band, but I mean like <laughs> in, in, in in other other bands, it's usually the best looking guy because that person is the most narcissistic and yes. more likely to say, hey, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. It, but it, I always thought better looking people just had, I don't know, better vocal cords somehow. No, 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 no. Hmm. Yeah, if, if you were just to 
like think about the band like the 1975 like i don't know if you guys know that band they're a big british band the singer is like this sort of sex icon and he's got so much charisma he's really funny but he's actually kind of an odd looking guy i'm a huge fan of him matt healy he's like a hero of mine but he's an odd looking dude and if you were to just like didn't know anything about the band actually this is what i want to do shane pull up the 19 just google the 1975 band right now and tell me um who you think is the best looking of, of the band and i don't to be honest i don't even know um actually i'm gonna put this uh, you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna put a picture in the group chat right now okay um you and the picture. Uh, okay, because i'm trying okay this is actually good because i okay. Th- because okay don't don't, don't look don't, no no don't look don't look don't look because i want to okay. I, I don't want it to be an obvious band photo where it's like the, the lead singers in the front like flexing you know i want it okay, to be too late but continue okay look at that photo that i that i just sent to the group who is the hottest uh of, of the four okay so this photo is going left to right yeah oh okay. they're all wearing the same thing well it's it's I think it's between far left and number three. So number one and number three are the two best looking. Number two and four are somewhere second. Shane, would you agree with that? Yeah. The, the guy on the far left would be the obvious choice. The, the guy third over is making the coolest pose, which like I Dermot feel like. like Rooney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but looking at the other photo I have on my screen, it's definitely um, the guy on the far left and the third guy are for sure the best looking people in the band. Okay. So you're talking about the, the third guy for our listeners at home is Matt Healy. And that is the singer. But I think we you all don't agree. Think that guy's good looking, Max? No, no. I mean, I think he's odd looking. If you look, I think he looks like kind of put together in that photo. If you see him in other times, you're like, this is an odd looking guy. I'm, and he, I'm just Googling Matt Healy right now because that looks like Dermot Mulroney. That looks like an actor. Yeah. But Dermot has an odd look too. He's like still strikingly handsome. Oh, he yeah. Looks, yeah. He looks weird right now. Matt Healy is in a funny zone right now. Just, uh, maybe I think he looks weird because right now he does look weird on his Instagram. Um, Matt Healy. Guys, this is important stuff that we're talking about right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like how you're so into this is important that you're actually stealing, just stealing things the that one. they say. <laughs> It's true. It's true. You're such a sponge, uh, Max. Yeah, I know. Okay, maybe he... Yeah, I guess he is good looking. But anyway, my point is, and I think you kind of confirmed it, Shane, is the best looking guy actually in the band is the dude on the left side. I don't even know what instrument he plays, to be honest. Um, and in the picture I'm looking at, he kind of has a Nick vibe of of Arkells. Yeah, he does. Who a lot of people uh, would might argue it, uh, is maybe like the hottest guy in Arkells. He, I, I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Max, could you give us a ranking of Arkell's hot, hotness? Oh, well, we have That's diff- tough. Diff- no, no, we we have different strokes for different folks in, in our band. You know, if you like, <laughs> if you like a short, like hot-headed Italian, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like the little guys, we have a couple options for you. We got Mike and Tony. If you like the big, broader guys, uh, you know, we have like a Nick. You know, if you like um, a guy who looks like uh, John Krasinski, we got Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim gets that. Uh, who would be in the big, broader guy category too? Uh, yeah, he would. Yeah, he's like six three or whatever, and then you got me. So uh, I don't. It kind of just depends on what you like, I suppose. But where were we, guys? Sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> that was like maybe the biggest digression, a random digression with uh, the 1975 ever in Mike Mike on much history. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, as Shane was saying, I was inspired, man. That for anybody listening out there, the the only thing that has given me like real joy lately, I'll say two things. One is. By far, uh, this is an important podcast. If you ever watched Same. Workaholics, um, 
they started the pod maybe back in the spring. So it's been out for a little while. I only discovered it uh, three weeks ago. And it is the best conversation. The chemistry between the guys are so is so funny and their affection and their history together. It's just like it reminds us a lot, reminds me a lot of kind of our friends and and, and their and that dynamic. Um, but yeah, I'm in a chat group basically with Shane, Sean, Dawson, who we previously mentioned, Unzi, and manager Ash, because we're all listening to these episodes and just talking about like and, and you can't repeat the stuff. Because it's not that funny when you repeat it, but when you're in it, it is the funniest shit ever. Is that right, Shane? Yeah, yeah. 100%. And uh, it really makes me want to talk about nothing more. Because <laughs> it, se- it seems like they really don't have a solid plan or structure. <laughs> they must have something going on behind the scenes, but everything just flows so organically. And it makes me just think, oh, maybe we should throw away a game plan more often or something. I know, just kind of go for it, like mm-hmm. we just did right there. Yeah. Um, like they have this whole mic, they have this bit, which... I have just been thinking about for the last 24 hours and it wasn't even a bit, but one of them just pointed out, they're talking about their dads and their dads getting mad back when they were kids. You put it in the group. Oh yeah. yeah. So they're talking about like 1992 dads were mad. So, and if you're our age, so if you're like between, if you're like middle thirties to late, to late thirties, you're like 1992, you're either like between the age of five and 10 and your dad was probably annoyed all the time because yeah. you're, you and your siblings that's were so bit- true. I thought yeah, it was it- just my dad. It's so funny <laughs> how that's universal. <laughs> it's like, oh, did you 92 dad you? Are you 92 dad right now? It's like so fucking yeah. good. No, it's so oh true. my God. I just like, honestly, if you're having a hard time in your life right now and you just need something so stupid but full of like love and comedy this is the pod you have to listen to this is important it's so funny but even you max had a 92 cranky dad um it was a cranky mom but yeah yeah. right okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um and the other thing i'll say uh i just started um it's it's um maybe it's five or six episodes in there's only two seasons the detroitors uh which is a Oh, I, Shane, I'm shocked you haven't seen but this But I want to get into Workaholics now because I'm totally in this is important Workaholics mode. But I'm obviously a, a Tim uh, Robinson, like massive fan. So it's, I'm conflicted what to dive into. So basically, we are all really obsessed with the show. This, um, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. It's like this obs- absurd sketch comedy thing happening. Uh, and his previous show is The Detroiters. And it's all about him and his best friend have an ad agency in Detroit. And they're just so terrible at their job and they don't give a fuck about it. Uh, (laughs) Which, by the way, you said, hey, this reminds me of you and Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wait a second. I thought that was a compliment. No, no, it reminded me that of you two because you guys are like best pals and you work at an ad agency. You guys are obviously good That's where it ends. Yeah, that's where it ends. Okay, thanks. Anyway, so those are my two recos that I encourage everybody to check out if you guys are, if you're in a rough state like we all are right now. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, now I'm, I'm sort of reticent to go with our structure. I just want to keep chatting, you know what well, I mean? Well, I mean, well, today's a more frivolous episode, which is why I was looking forward to this one. Assuming you've watched the movies we discussed, Max, looking at I you. did. I just, I finished the last 20 minutes of the Tiger Ep, uh, just right, right before now. we rolled in? Okay. Right before, so, right. I, so, so, so it's fresh. It's feeling really good. And I watched the Bee Gees a couple weeks ago. Like we said uh, on our last episode to our listeners, this is going to be the documentary episode, but we're also going to do a little bit of uh, a sort of like current uh, events because a pretty funny thing happened in the NBA. And when it happened, I sort of messaged a, a couple different message groups I'm in because 
What I liked about this story is it felt like good old sort of frivolous NBA drama the way it was pre-pandemic. Um, and the story, I'm sure you've seen it if you follow the NBA at all. If you haven't, LeBron James and the LA Lakers were playing in Atlanta. And I guess Atlanta has decided to not only let fans into arenas, which has kind of been happening in a few sporadic spots around the league, uh, but usually they're in like, you know, they're about 20 feet back from the court. They all have to wear masks. I guess Atlanta is letting people sit courtside. So uh, this this couple was sitting courtside. You have to assume that that they're very rich. Um, it's like this 60 year old, like ripped dude. And then his 25 year old, like blonde wife. And, uh, the clip online is of her with her mask down around her chin. So she's not even wearing her mask yelling at LeBron James, telling, you know, telling him to shut the fuck up and all this stuff. And he's sort of kind of yapping back, but she was so incensed that it was just pretty hilarious. Of course it's the internet. So it goes crazy. NBA Twitter. She becomes courtside. Karen, uh, the reporting comes out later. She had said that LeBron uh, had told her to sit down. Bitch was the quote. Nobody found any audio of <laughs> LeBron a saying film. people are going through it. <laughs> yeah, like, he absolutely didn't say that. So like the athletic and other people are trying to find if LeBron says something. And they said that the only thing that they could find LeBron saying was all steroid ass to the, to the 60-year-old guy who's like super jacked and in and, and great shape for a 60-year-old, I might add. But anyway, it was just such a, a funny thing that NBA Twitter just jumped all over. Like all of our friends were making jokes. It was so entertaining. And I was like, oh, this is what the NBA used to be like mm. before the pandemic. So I enjoyed yeah. the story. What did you guys think when I threw that in the old uh, the old group? Well, do you think a something like this would ever happen if it was the old days? Because to me, in a way, this is uniquely pandemicified because you can hear people so clearly now mm. with like a cavernous gym. If it's like, hey, fuck you, LeBron. It's like, sorry, what's what's that? Whereas w- before you could yell at players uh, and be free. I feel like there would be like interactions, like it'd be like there'd be jawing courtside. Like I remember the story of like Chris Bosch's girlfriend yapping at LeBron and then LeBron going on to destroy us, you know, and it's like, that's like people wrote about it the next day. Like that was kind of the fun thing where you'd see them yapping and then LeBron hits his free throw and he looks over at Bosch's girlfriend. He's like, you probably shouldn't have said anything. And then, you know, those kinds of things would happen and then they would get written about the next day and they would go away. But because we haven't had fans, we haven't had any of the stupid fun. Like this is a stupid story other than the sort of why is there courtside fans? Why wasn't she wearing a mask? That's obvious. But this was like such a harmless, silly, like yapping interaction. I don't know, Max, am I wrong? Do you feel like this kind of stuff happened in the NBA? It was like- I, th- I think it happened more often than you think. Like if you went to a game, there's there's like a decent chance, maybe one in every four games, you'd see somebody being escorted out from courtside. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I think that did actually happen a little bit more often. Obviously what's different here is that like, a million other things are going on in the game. Usually on the telecast, they try to brush it aside. That's, I think, what's the main difference mm-hmm. is that normally when something unsavory is happening in the league, like the, the announcers will go, oh, it looks like there's a bit of a, a fan maybe drinking too much. Okay. Anyway, and they change the subject. They don't actually want to put attention onto this ugly side of heckling because there's a fun, fun side of heckling, which we should get into. But I think because... She was such a personality type that is like, is probably living on Instagram. She clearly wants to be like the real housewives of Atlanta. Is she a real housewife of Atlanta? She fits that bill. <laughs> if she's I, not, she will be. Yeah. And, and also she was the only person there. I just think it got way <laughs> more attention that like, there's like nobody else in the stands and most games don't even have anybody in the stands. And yeah. the fact that she went right to her phone and started talking and lying to, to everybody immediately mm-hmm. uh, in, in a time, because I think LeBron has a good time going back and forth with the fans normally it's just like it's just we haven't had that in a year basically of that of that interaction 
Yeah, I mean, I think LeBron said in his post game that he didn't even think they should have been kicked out. Like, I think he was like, <laughs> "Hey, like it is what it is." Like, I, it was, it was. I didn't think they needed to be kicked out. And I think the other thing is, usually when people have these things, there's a little bit of contrition. She went the other way. She was like, "I've been wronged" because they got kicked out of the game, and she immediately went to social media and was like filming herself, and basically like she was aggrieved, and like the sort of like <laughs> the force with which she like felt like she had been wronged ended up becoming comedy in its own right. So like the fact that she kind of went to social media and just kept laying out her case as to why she'd been screwed over and was slamming LeBron and how she, why she'd defend her husband and, and any woman that wouldn't defend her husband, she feels bad for them and they need to break <laughs> up. And it just kept cascading. And she basically kind of made herself into a reality star from this one viral yeah. moment. And we'll see what happens. But it was just such a funny, like sort of 24 hours with that story. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, typically the players, I mean, occasionally, it was an earlier point, you, sometimes you'll see players go to security and point at someone sitting courtside and then they just get removed. But I think players, generally speaking, like the shit talking that happens. It goes back to the 90s, you think, but with Spike Lee and Reggie Miller. Like that, that, like Spike Lee would lay into Reggie Miller and any other team coming through the garden. And it was what was fun. And I think a lot of the players kind of love it because when they fuck up, they got to just kind of roll with it. And then when they score or do something exceptional, then they can like look at the person and go, what do you think of that? And that's like the funnest part about about going to see live basketballs, like how close you are to the sport itself. The Drake, um, the Drake interactions kind of became a nightly that's right, NBA that's right. Twitter thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like whether it was like people thought he was annoying or they hated him in other cities or the Toronto fans sort of enjoyed him. Like Drake's antics became its own sort of thing, like the Spike Lee thing. You know who uh, who she kind of reminded me of? Do, uh, and this is a much more serious example. But do you remember that girl in Toronto who threw a chair over the balcony onto the DVP in her condo? And you kind of go, okay, who in the population is rooting for this? I think in the culture wars, in a lot of situations, when you people are about in the world, you go, oh, okay, I can see like 30 or 40% of the population actually sympathizing with this or whatever. Like you, you try to like run the pie chart of like how people feel about it, like a certain thing. But in, in this instance with Courtside Karen, how many people, even like Republicans, whatever, are going... Oh, no, but she, LeBron's a jerk. Like, do you think that, like, it's got to be like 2% or 5% or that people are like, she's a sympathetic character. Or maybe I'm wrong. What do you guys think? I think way more people would more? be supporting her than the chair girl. Chair girl no, maybe no, had. He means no, between LeBron and LeBron Courtside Karen. And, no, yeah. Oh, I know, but I thought you were relating it to chairperson. Okay, oh, you are like, in the sense that you think no one would like chairperson. Yeah, I think no they're both like in the category one. of deplorable person. Um, so like, wh- I so don't what- know. Well, she's spinning a narrative that LeBron called her a fucking bitch and told her to sit down. If people are liable to believe that, maybe they're taking her side. Like, mm-hmm. so so maybe based uh, on you could guess 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 uh, the polling would be like you know twenty percent maybe in favor. Well, any of Republican m- might take her side, especially since. A lot of people seem to be put off by the BLM protests and mm. like. Just but she's at a basketball game your... too. It's just weird if she. Didn't well, I like think I think movement. philosophically, where people would land on the divide is how they feel about the relationship between the entertainer and the person being entertained. Like some people might say, "Hey, she paid for a ticket. She can say whatever she wants." And LeBron's a, a multi. You know, he's a billionaire. Why is he using his power to get her thrown out? Like people might be like, you know, the whole like, entertain me. You know, like everyone should know their place. And as the as a paying fan she should be allowed to say what she wants. This is what I, I'm trying to imagine people that would support her. That might be philosophically how they they view it. Sure, sure. 
do you guys have any uh any you, you guys sat courtside together and shane you were heckling a little bit weren't you did you know i wasn't was it- i wasn't heckled i was being discriminated against because i was <laughs> because i was wearing a tank top and a bunch of fake <laughs> yeah, I, I was wearing that. a bunch of fake gold chains and uh a woman thought i wasn't worthy to be sitting there okay but so, you t- tell the audience why you dress like that because your your theory was very funny i think we've talked about some of the pod but say it again well we were supposed to be it wasn't a theory it was just we were supposed to be doing uh or being talked about by matt devlin and leo routens on air to promote our new crave show mm, so okay. i'm like oh if we're doing a comedy show to be funny i'm going to wear a tank top and a bunch of gold chains <laughs> so when they're talking about us on camera people are like that's a funny guy i want to tune into that show and see his antics but of course be wearing all those that outfit and being a bit of a spectacle i think dissuaded them from throwing to us and they just skipped the whole the whole thing so it screwed us but you know i'm leaning forwards to see the action because when you're front row a lot of people lean forward and go like that but although everyone else was doing it a woman singled me out and said could you sit back please and then the whole game i had to stay glued to the back of my chair while everyone else leaned forwards and of course, the ball came at me as I was eating uh, a roast beef sandwich <laughs> covered in gravy, and I almost spilled, you know, stuff all over the ball. Why did you go for the Mike roast beef sandwich though? Like that's such a messy thing. Like, why don't you just go for a slice of pizza? I was feeling fancy, and I thought, <laughs> hmm, I want. I, I wonder what the other people do who sit down here, and you get a little bit different of a, of options, food options down there. So I thought I'd be a little more high class and show that woman, like, look what I'm eating. But it uh, it kind of backfired. Um, have you guys been heckled uh, in any other like, uh, or have you been the heckler at any other like sporting events or just in life in general? I found well, I found one of the most jarring things about sitting courtside, and courtside is like it's obviously like you know the, mo- the one of the most unique and amazing experiences if you ever are fortunate enough to experience it. And I've done it like three three or four times. I've been lucky where true courtside feet on, feet on the court was once when our band first got signed and uh, we got brought courtside in. At that time, it was like an the pi- it was like a pilot that used to fly around Drake early in his career, and then we got those seats, which was pretty amazing. And I brought Shane, um, and because none awesome. of the guys, none of the guys from the band could come, it was last minute. Uh, I think we got the tickets because okay, someone just dropped say out. You brought Shane. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's for the band. So of course, I brought Shane. And then I called uh, some childhood buddies. They weren't free. Danica mm-hmm. didn't want to go. Yeah, yeah. you would it's think the old that Max routine because it was for the band. You would think I would bring one of the guys in the band, obviously, but but it was like an hour before the game. We were in Toronto. All the guys were in Hamilton. So Shane ended up coming. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever be being courtside. It was like, you know, brilliant. But what is jarring, what you don't realize or what I didn't realize is like how physical the game is up front. Um, so, and, and how much you hear them talk. So it's like, and how much they sort of abuse the refs verbally. So like, you know, like it's like the smack of like bodies and someone be like, get the fuck out of here. And you're just like, Ooh, this is jarring. And then as a fan, when I'm in the, like the three hundreds, when I'm in the nosebleeds, I'll be like, I'll be like, yo, play some fucking D or whatever. I'm going to yell, you know, when you say that courtside, they'll look at you and then you're like, Oh my God. And then you actually have to kind of like recalibrate how you're communicating what you're communicating. Cause you're not just yelling at a TV. It's like another human being can hear you. Uh, so then so I do tend you whisper. No, I, I actually, I tend to like, I mean, I, as I've gotten older too, I like, I, 
I, I yell less things about like players. I've never gotten personal, but like, I would certainly be like, make the extra pass. Like, I, you know, like a, a, a couch, you know, an armchair coach or something like that. I, I, t- I tend to lay, I, I would pull that back when I'm in courtside situations. Cause I do find myself getting a little bit more mm-hmm. timid. Like, like it's when I'm yelling at Kawhi to make an extra pass from four feet away, like, is it really necessary? You know what I mean? And then I just feel like I'm being, I don't know. I, I so I tend to like hold back. Maxi, when you've been courtside, are you just as vocal? No, 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 I don't. But I, I do, I do like when people get into it, and I do find that like Drake, um, you know, people think that he's sort of like a fake, tough kind of guy, and he's more of like an actor or a chameleon, you know, when it comes to like the different sort of roles he plays as a public person. But Drake, as like the tough guy shit talker to like Kevin Durant or whatever I find to be so funny and in the theater of it all it's because in the moment you're like is Kevin Durant gonna punch Kate like Drake in the face or something right now and like and they're like really yapping at each other but like absolutely nothing's gonna happen and also they're friends too yeah. <laughs> it's like uh yeah so I respect uh Drake I, again for just like being so savvy in like getting himself in the conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like more than, and he does it in a way, there's a lot of like hip hop dudes that sit courtside and are friends with the, with the team. But, but Drake really like is playing a dramatic role, like mm-hmm. more so than just about anybody else. Sorry. He's a true antagonizer and he has a passion for it and it comes off so real. Yeah. And, and funny. He, he gets that line perfect. And he, his seats are perfect too. Like right yeah. behind the head coach, right next to the bench. All the teams have to walk right by him on their way off the court. It's just like Drake. Yeah. Oh God. You know, sometimes you're just like, uh, Drake's really got it made. And that like, how is this dude who's not even on the team giving like celebratory, like high fives to the team after the game? He's shaking hands with the other team, like as they're walking yeah. off the court, as if he just played the game. He was in the heat of the battle. Well, because he is affecting the game. <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think right. if, if Mike is sitting courtside and he's like, oh, that guy's open, get him the ball. I would talk louder if I were you because you can actually uh, inform the players what's going on. Well, I didn't so you'd Drake be like, take Fred credit is for open, that. And they'd be like, thanks. I remember there was like an inbound play that Drake was distracting him. And then it was like a five second call. And then yeah. Drake like clapped his hands like yeah. as if he did it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's against Indiana. Um, uh, so funny. I. Uh, it's funny. One of the other times I was courtside was actually in a working capacity. And so people sometimes say, because like obviously people that listen know that Shane and I work in TV, people have said like, would you ever want to work like for the Raptors or like in basketball or do kind of what my brother does with like the soccer team? And for for a long part, like a long part of kind of like my earlier career, I was like, oh, maybe that's something I would want to do. But what happened was when the Raptors first got good again in like 2015, 16, uh, uh, we got to direct like a spot for TSN. It was uh, me and uh, John Popolis co-directed it. And so I was like baseline, like where the photographers sit under the basket. And I was with like my cameraman. So what we were doing is it was like, there was like only a couple games left in the season and we were getting, or maybe it was like a couple weeks before the end of the season, but we were getting footage for this like epic promo about like, it's been a long drought, you know, but the Raptors are finally going back to the playoffs. It was the, the We the North year the first week of the North year. And I'm sitting there with the camera guy. I'm beside him. I've got my little monitor. I'm under like the basket. I've actually, there's a photo on my Instagram of Kyle Lowry falling into me and me like holding up his, his, like his ass went right into my face. And I like, I'm holding a him up. Booty. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so it's like near the end of the game and I've got like my monitor and I'm just making sure that we're getting all these shots. We're shooting everything in slow motion. So you got to make sure you catch like that second and a half. That's amazing. You shoot like an hour of footage for like one second. And it's a pivotal point in the game. And Kyle Lowry, we were playing Memphis. And it was an important game uh, for like playoff seeding. And Kyle goes up and he takes a three, I think over Marc Gasol, ironically. Uh, and he hits this three and the place goes insane. It's like the last minute and a half of the game. 
Now, I'm a Raptors fan, and in that moment, you would think that I would be losing my mind. All I did was I turned to my camera guy, and I was like, tell me you got that shot play it back right now. And so like I was in work mode. And so he plays it back. We get the shot. You see everybody rise up like a, an ocean behind Kyle after he hits the shot. We used it in the spot. But in that moment, I had this sad realization that that I didn't feel the moment at all. All I cared about was doing the job. And so after we wrapped everything, whenever people were like, hey, would you want to like work for the Raptors? I was like, I don't think I would because that's what I come home to like, that's my hobby that I come home from work and I put on the Raptors. You need to preserve your happy place. You know, like you don't want to lose that. What would be my new thing? Yeah, it would be a new thing. Yeah. I don't know what my new thing would but be. But what if you get offered a very lucrative job? Oh, I take it. Yeah. In two yeah. seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, have you been heckled lately by the Instagram DM dude and any other heckles? I feel like you, you as much as you're like a celeb lookalike that you kind of mm -hmm. fit that image of like Hollywood royalty. Uh, you mm. also are somebody who like gets picked on for whatever reason, like, or maybe you antagonize well, people. Well, people know I'm vulnerable, right? So when they see <laughs> that, that they like to attack it. Yeah, I think so. Like if you're vulnerable, like certain people will, will, will go for you. But I, I have a, a heckling kind of story with Dustin Diamond, who unfortunately just passed. I feel terrible. He he got stage four cancer and died within three weeks of yeah, brutal. Uh, of having it. Yeah, Jeez, But I, I went to a comedy show of his years ago, and maybe I've told this story, uh, Max. I don't know so please, story. You, no, okay, you, good. You're the guy that usually will hop in and say, "Yeah, I heard that two years ago." No, so I don't know. This, I know you texted about it, but I don't even know the story. Yeah. Okay, so I went to a, a Dustin Diamond show. I was maybe 22, and I, I wanted to Hamilton. film it. No, he was in Toronto. Oh, okay, he did go to Toronto. So I went to uh, to the show. I thought it'd be funny to have on on footage, so I, I brought my little handy cam. But you there could was do that a, back then. You no, there was camera. actually a sign that said no, no photography or video. Mm -hmm. And I was filming it, and his security team took my footage away. They actually took the tape. And unfortunately, because when I was 22, I was very, uh, I didn't have a lot of money and I was very frugal with the tapes. I had a wedding on that tape too, mm. that I filmed a wedding for someone, but I was trying to get the last 10 <laughs> minutes of the tape. I was going to put some screech <laughs> footage on it and then, you know, separate, separate it in editing, but I hadn't digitized the footage yet. So I really needed that wedding, but security takes it away from me. So what I do is I go back the next night. To get my footage back because I was I was stewing over it. So Screech <laughs> was doing a, a two night comedy run, and you just assumed you'd be able to find the security the same security guard like he'd be working. Yeah, again he had the, the same night. team. Yeah, okay, the okay, same okay. team. So afterwards, Dustin was doing a uh, like a meet and greet or whatever, and I was like, "Hey, Screech, your security has my tape," <laughs> and he he's ignoring me, and I'm like, "Screech!" And then security goes to take me away. I'm like, "Screech stole my tape," <laughs> and, and, and he goes, "It's Dustin." It's Dustin. He kept saying it's it's Dustin. Like he didn't make a career up being called Screech. And I, and, and I was like, it's Screech. It's Screech. And then they took me away. <laughs> that was that. You never got it back? No, I never got the tape back. And I always had a bit of a, uh, I don't know, a thing against him ever since. And oh, almost sure. a hate. And then I found out the news and instantly felt terrible about it. Well, mm. not not instantly, because when I said R.I.P. Dustin Diamond in the group, you immediately responded, no, I'm never getting that tape back. <laughs> I did. Yeah. But I was saying it with tears in my eyes. You know, <laughs> like that's the thing with texts. You said Zoics, Mike. So, I did say Zoics. All right. That's his catchphrase. I yeah, was honoring the man by using it's true. his it was most a famous phrase. I, I got heckled Zoics. the other the other day, actually. Um we were walking around Toronto, and during the Bills playoff run, I've been wearing my Bills what kind of windbreaker jacket, and 
everybody like will stop me in the street not because they recognize me from markels necessarily but just be like bills fucking go bills sick bills jacket and you really kind of realize like what that team means in southern ontario and then we were walking i think it was like christmas day and i was like downtown like streets are like pretty empty and then a guy just goes hey and then i'm like i look over and i kind of smile and do my royal wave or whatever he goes <laughs> getting your pen ready yeah yeah right no it's, it's true and, and he was in the demo of an arkells fan too he was like you know probably late 20s like probably went to fucking western i don't know like he's like looked like that guy he goes bills fucking suck and then i'm like wow. i'm like okay cool i'm into that that was actually kind of refreshing because I, I i like a, as i said like a, a sports heckle is the best kind of heckle because it's like mm-hmm. harmless like no one's actually getting hurt and then he goes, that's some Jack Smith mother, that's some Jack Smith shit, motherfucker. And I'm like, what? And I kind of like stand there stunned. I'm like, Jack Smith. He's like, they're playing on stolen land. I'm like, what? Hmm. Oh, and then I was like, okay, are the bills, I mean, we're all living on stolen land. So it's like, is there some, like, what am I missing here? Like, and I just kind of stood there and then he kind of was like, yeah, fuck you. And then kept walking. And then I looked it up. I was with Ash and, I, and she's like, I think he means John Smith. He got the name wrong. But John Smith, I guess, I don't know anything about this, so forgive me, but is a character in Pocahontas who I guess is like a colonizer in Pocahontas and is like a love interest, but ultimately kind of a bad guy if you look at it at a historical context. So I think he was calling me John Smith in reference to the Pocahontas character because the Bills might play might play their game on indigenous territory. So anyway, it was, it was, super it was an educational bro heckle. <laughs> it was it was an educational <laughs> heckle that led me down a deep Wikipedia rabbit hole trying to decipher exactly what the heckle mm. was. I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. It was very like political in in, in the thing. <laughs> my favorite fucking my favorite sports heckle story is uh, me and Shane and the nut and my brother go to Indiana, the playoffs. So we drive all the way to Indiana and we're going into like enemy territory. We're Raptors fans from Toronto. We're ready to cheer on our team. We go in there proudly with our Raptors jerseys. And of course, like all of these arenas have their shirts like draped over the chairs because everyone gets a free shirt when they go up. Like, you know, fucking Pacers, whatever. We're proud, right? Game starts. Raptors almost immediately are down like 22 to three or something. Like it is embarrassing. And before the game, like people were like, hey, go back to Toronto. We're like, Raptors, Raptors, you know, let's go Raptors. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. And then so as the Raptors start getting demolished in like, the first quarter, everybody starts going like, let's go Pacers. And they're like, everyone in our section's really like giving it to us. And I'm like, we feel like shit. And then I hear like real loudly in my left ear, let's go Pacers. And I look over and Shane has put on the Indiana Pacers t-shirt. And I go, what are you doing? And he had a towel. <laughs> and he has the fucking towel. And I go, what are you doing? He's like, I don't want to support no losers, man. It's <laughs> true. It felt good to be a winner, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, one other last thing here is um, we were, it's kind of a heckle, I guess, sports related to, I was, I might have told the story. Um, I was on a, I used to go on these baseball road trips with my dad every summer and we'd go to some, a few different cities in America. It'd usually be like a mixture of like minor league games and major league games. This summer we were going to Boston, Fenway Park. It was a big deal. Obviously Fenway Park is one of the oldest parks in baseball right now. And it's a legendary place. And we didn't have tickets though, because we always sort of banked on being able to scalp tickets. So 
if you go to if you go there, all the scalpers are dudes from Southie, and Southie's a part of Boston, like real like Irish working class. Like if you've watched like the town, it's like all those like kind of like street criminals are from Southie. So I go up to a guy, they're all kind of like they they look like scalpers. I'm like, hey, um, what do you what do you got tickets for? And uh, they're like, oh, I got it for 125 bucks a pop. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'm not, probably not going to worth it. And I talk to the nice guy like, what are you selling for? He's like, 150 bucks a pop. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we're we're kind of looking for like 50 bucks a, 50 bucks a pop. We're not going to be. And he goes, huh, all right, fuck off then. So then I'm like, okay. So I walk and he goes, hey, hey, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. If you, and I turn around, I'm like, if you can find tickets for 50 bucks, I'll suck your dick. <laughs> and I'm with my dad. I'm like, okay, all right. And, and, and okay. Like, okay, like, welcome to Boston. And then we walk a few more steps. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If you can find tickets for 50 bucks, I'll suck your dick and I'll swallow it, okay? Oh, my God. <laughs> it was so vulgar. And then we kept walking. But wow. but it was fun. Like, it, I, like I, I, I'm glad he gave me that memory, you know? Yeah. It was, it was a true, like, Boston welcoming, I think. And you want, you want Boston sports fans to be as insane as that. Did you find 50 bucks? And then if so, I have another question for you. (laughs) (laughs) And if so. (laughs) But you did find it once for 50? We found it once for 50. Okay, yeah, I won't ask. ask. Uh, That's funny. All right, let's get to the thing. Let's get to... uh, Let's do it. Uh, Wow. Hello, everyone. Erica here. I am just editing the pod as we speak, and I would just like to insert a spoiler alert at this moment. The rest of the episode contains major spoilers on the Tiger Woods documentary and the Bee Gees documentary. So if you do not want those to be spoiled, stop listening now. Thank you very much. Have a great day. As promised uh, in past episodes, this is the documentary. <laughs> Feature episode, <laughs> which is forty minutes in. Uh, so there's two two big docs have come out. Uh, HBO Crave here in Canada. You can find the Tiger Woods documentary. Um, that is originally an HBO doc. Like I said, it's on Crave here in Canada. Two parts. Uh, there's also a BG doc. Let's start with Tiger because I feel like it's fresh in your mind there, Maxi boy, uh, since you just finished it. Shane, you were the first one to see this. You watched part one before part two even came out and you were telling us to, to watch this thing. Uh, I guess, first of all, like what were our overall impressions uh, of this doc? I, like, just just as a, as a documentary craft, I thought the doc was excellent uh, before we started getting to, to Tiger. What were you thinking, Shane? Yeah, me too. It felt uh, premium. Like Max is always talking about these high quality HBO style docs that just have that special filmic quality. And I feel like this definitely had it. And I thought the the access felt unreal. And I was I know it's a good doc when I'm always thinking of how did they get that? How did they get that guy to admit that? How come he's not worried about the ramifications? And why am I feeling like everything's left on the table and like that would be impossible for me to do? So all these things were running through my head at all times. I a similar thought to that is, um, well, Tiger was not involved in this documentary. Number one, uh, his wife obviously wasn't in it. His his mother wasn't in it. Uh, like I don't think his agents were in it. Like there were a lot of people that would be like very the closest possible to Tiger said no. So then I was thinking like his okay. caddy though. But his caddy got fired. His caddy got fired in 2013, 2014. So then you start going down the list of uh, people who did agree. And then I and then I had the same kind of line of thinking as you, Shane, which is like, okay, like how like clearly they know being in this dock is against Tiger's wishes. This isn't a Tiger sanctioned dock. How am I going to present myself? And I did think most of the people 
that talked on camera that were close to Tiger at some point were pretty good spirited about it. I think they were like his his uh, high school girlfriend, I think, came off pretty good. I think his caddy came off pretty good. Nobody was in it like because sometimes you see a doc and you go, oh, I'm so, like you can tell the character is going, I'm so happy there's a documentary being made so I can talk as much shit as possible about the person the documentary is about. Like I can't wait. I've been waiting years to unload all the people that did appear in it. Probably pissed off Tiger no matter what, because Tiger probably doesn't like this doc. But I think they actually came off like true and generally pretty honest. Would you guys agree with like with, with that for the most part? Yeah, but the the dad's best friend, almost mm. too honest. Almost like when he's <laughs> saying he's saying all the antics that uh, Oh, Earl in the trailer? On the golf course in the Winnebago. Oh my yeah. god. I couldn't believe it. And then he like he he almost seemed like, uh, oh, I can't talk about this. And then he looks in the camera and he's like, I'm sorry, Tiger. Or he said something like that, like, yeah. sorry, big guy. And then he just told, like, he all these confessions. Because that was I a huge were- scoop. And that actually painted um, probably the most, you know, the na- most negative picture of Tiger's dad was, mm-hmm. like, was that. But the most sympathetic view of Tiger. It, what it did was it, mm. it, it, it allowed anybody that is looking to sort of have empathy for Tiger. to It, it gave people sort of an insight into his childhood, what he saw in his mentor, his father, sort of the most important person in his life. He he had to witness this, right? Because, and this is what the, the dad's best friend is saying. He's like, Tiger shouldn't have been seeing this from whatever, 13 to 17, whatever that was, those formative years. He saw how his dad behaved with other women, bringing women to the Winnebago. In some ways, it lays the groundwork for people to, to have sympathy uh, for Tiger and sort of how he developed and what he maybe saw as acceptable or at least what he saw his own father do. Um, yeah, it, I, I agree with you, Max. I do think that everybody, like it felt like an honest, as honest as a you know people talking about somebody in a documentary picture as it could have been. Like it felt... I don't know, like I felt like I got a sense of who Tiger was based on what these people said. And the greatest thing, which is the footage, like the home movies, interviews, things Tiger said himself in different interviews. Like that's why the doc really sort of um, excelled, I think, was because it was a mix of all those things, right? They had, like Shane said, access to these people that knew him throughout his life who now are on the outs. Like everybody that spoke in that doc no longer has a relationship with Tiger. But all there was so much great footage. Like in, in the second part there, when Tiger's sort of making his last comeback near the end of the doc, they have like footage of him driving around. It looks like it was shot for the HBO doc, but it wasn't. And and Danica was like, so did Tiger do this interview for the doc? I'm like, no, they must, this must be for something else that was focused on his, him returning to Augusta that they bought, that the HBO bought to then use in this doc. I was wondering, I was like, it seems like he's a part of the doc now, just in that final like 15 minutes or something. Um, Hey, did you believe that the, girlfriend the girlfriend's portrayal her high high school girlfriend the portrayal that like tiger could be himself around her family do you think she like big upped her family a little too much or do you think no no you think that was true it seemed totally legit yeah and the the footage tiger did seem like a a, totally different guy letting loose it was a it was a tiger i'd never seen before mm -hmm. i believed her i thought she came off so authentic and real me yeah me too i thought she was awesome i I thought nick faldo was great uh yeah yeah uh, his but why is Nick doing that? Nick is the main guy. I'm wondering, like, like did Tiger screw him up in some way? Because Nick was talking fairly lovingly about him. Or did they trick Nick in a uh, Nathan Fielder-esque way? And like, or like the way Sasha Baron Cohen gets big interviews and like, hey, we're just going to ask you about Tiger, not saying it's a gritty expose. Well, That's I probably wonder- what they did, eh? Part of me in in hoping that Tiger like recovers and is able to enjoy his life because he clearly has not in in many ways for the first forty something years of his life. Part of me hopes that he sees this 
this doc or he hears about it at least and goes, oh, all these people that I've sort of outcasted, um, like my caddy, my ex-girlfriend, all these people that I had to like let go of for whatever reason. Oh, they're actually like decent people and aren't don't fucking hate me, actually kind of love me and actually are heartbroken that I'm not in their that they're not that Tiger's not in their lives anymore. Cause it's like the girlfriend by the end of it, the high school girlfriend is like, all I want to do is take care of the guy. Cause I think he's like a beautiful, precious soul. Like his caddy is just like, dude was like, it was one thing for Tiger to fire me, but I still thought we were going to be friends. Like I, like I thought he was my best man at my wedding. Like I thought we'd be cool, like on a personal level, but then he hasn't talked to me since that makes me sad. And but I thought, what do you that- think of that, that caddy move? Because what screwed up the caddy and Tiger's relationship was he asked Tiger if he could caddy for someone else. So when Tiger says, yeah, that's cool. And the caddy says, great, thanks. And then Tiger's like, wait a minute. Actually, it's not cool. D- please don't caddy for him. And he's like, no, I'm still doing it. I mean, it was a stupid, it was a totally stupid career move uh, for sure. <laughs> I like also, a- I, I thought a lot about that, like that being sort of the inflection point. So he explains it that way. But think about this. Tiger's also at his lowest, right? And this guy, mm. at that point, you don't know if Tiger's ever going to come back to golf. So it might look like this guy's like, hey, man, like I need to still work. I'm going to go caddy for this guy. And Tiger might be like, what that if you do that that looks like you're giving up on me you know what i mean yeah. like i can understand tiger saying like where's the loyalty for me i've made you over 20 million in career earnings i looked up what the caddy made wow, it's insane like, well because t- tiger makes i think a caddy gets a percentage of every purse won, and that, that tiger won wow. a lot of games did not know that it might not be that high but it's in the millions he's got millions so it's like it's like tiger Just for might be handing like, clubs to a guy <laughs> he's got to give a big bear hug at the end though that's true okay well it's like it's like and so if you're if, if you're tiger and you're like listen like i have never been lower this isn't i've been I'm publicly embarrassed it's like just wait just give me another six months once and then we're gonna and this guy's like maybe this guy thinks i don't think tiger's coming back from it who knows what he's thinking but if you're tiger and that guy still does it after you ask him not to i almost understand tiger being like you know what then we'll go our separate ways and that's and, and it is what it is and that's fine you know like well the problem is he asked tiger originally yeah. and i think if you're going to ask somebody can i do this and they say no you have to be but you know superstars. It. It's like, why even ask me? Like, just wait. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm the greatest thing that ever came along in your career. Like, just don't even ask. And and once he changed his mind, that guy probably should have dropped it. But well, who am I to say? And maybe that guy's very happy. He's still working. He's made his money. He's in his I wonder dock. if the caddy thought in some way he was like the secret ingredient to Tiger's career. <laughs> maybe. And maybe he thought he could make somebody else just as famous. So another, I had another thought. I wanted to ask you guys this. So that whole story, the, the, the sort of plot with the high school girlfriend and all that incredible footage, like you said, Shane, where Tiger's letting loose and he, like teenage Tiger, he's dancing. Like he's, he just looks like a normal 16, 17 year old having a good time and basically he lies to his parents and he says that he's not back uh, a a day early from college and instead he hung out with his girlfriend and she spent the night and at that point his parents who have basically had this plan for him since he was like three years old are like you know they say Earl's like oh he's gonna get her pregnant like he's he's gone off the rails blah blah blah. and they basically have like a you know a come to God moment with Tiger where they say like do you want to be great or do you want to fuck around and have a girlfriend like normal people do and Tiger clearly made his decision whether it was from pressure from parents or not do you think that Tiger still could have been great if he had gone down the path of this girl and fell in love and and was just and, and it's 18 he like he does fall in love with her and she stays his girlfriend for the next year or two and he's kind of distracted or do you think to become what he became he did have to give up whatever you would call like a conventional sort of childhood and decide to just be the machine as she called it like did the parents make the right choice to make him the greatest golfer in the world while at the same time maybe sacrificing some of his humanity 
Well, you can do both. Look at LeBron. He's he married his high school sweetheart. So Steph Curry's been he, together with his wife forever too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think it's possible to uh, have a woman in your life or a relationship in your life and still be at the top of your game. Yeah. I, it really. Uh, Tiger is the most humorless person I think I've, and least charismatic person maybe after Kawhi of any professional athlete of all time. Would you guys agree? Like. Him ditching the girlfriend and just being this golf robot that needed to have sex sometimes with like random strangers that like showed him attention. Um, that was uh, re- remarkable that a guy who's in front of the camera so much and is in branding meetings like, you know, every week with the biggest brands in the world, like did not know how to turn it on. And, and though actually the whole time, like oh, Tiger interviews were so uncomfortable, even in his heyday when he was beloved. I was like, dude cannot crack a joke. Dude is so uptight all the time, just wondering like who's out to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of made me think about like the re- like clearly he needed a release from being like Tiger Woods. And so when he would have sex with like the random prostitutes or waitresses, and and the big part of this storyline is that they all really loved him because I guess mm-hmm. his pillow talk was like supreme. I guess he was like yeah. really good. At, at, <laughs> That's at, the at, title like, of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and really good at making them feel loved and special and he could actually let his guard down. So on that level, I actually kind of uh, sort of happy that he got that a little bit in his life because clearly he he felt like he had to be on with his wife. Uh, to some degree. So anyway, I thought that was that was illuminating that like that he was so uptight and frigid all the time, except for when he was like in a parking lot in, in the back of his fucking truck. That reminds me of the part in the doc where it's like they have this hostess, this like Vegas hostess, and she starts talking about how Tiger's entering this world. And she's like, you know, Tiger all of a sudden starts hanging out with Michael Jordan <laughs> and Charles, Charles Barkley. <laughs> and Tiger's like a nerd, you know, like Tiger's not those guys, you know, those guys like Tiger's kind of new to this world. But, you know, Jordan comes in and he's got these girls. And I just started thinking, I started laughing because I'm like, imagine being Michael Jordan and you're like, ah, he turned to the wife. You go, let's pop this doc on. They did a doc on Tiger. Let's watch this. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Jordan's like, why, why am I catching bullets? Like, wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm not in this doc. And now you're I did about- think about Barkley too. I did think about <laughs> yeah. Barkley. See, I thought sure Jordan's wife that, might though. suggest it. Yeah. And then he'd be like, no, no, let's watch something else. I thought another thing that was interesting was, so part one ends with Tiger. It's like Tiger's father passes away. And then Tiger has to sort of overcome like the devastation of losing, you know, the, the person that probably means the most to him in his life to win um, um, whatever golf tournament he has to win. And so part one ends with this kind of like um, this, 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 this moment. We saw a lot of them in the last dance with the Michael Jordan doc, right? Where it's like this sort of like this career highlight and this sort of like moment of triumph. But the doc makes an interesting choice here where... It's like he's hugging the caddy because his father's passed away. He's won this tournament sort of in his father's honor and he's hugging the caddy. And it's like, normally that would be like like an ending that swells up and we're celebrating this sort of remarkable and sort of like unduplicatable career. But the music actually gets more sinister. And then we see the 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 mistress, the Rachel Uchel or whatever her name is, she sits down and then they kind of do like this like incredible tease. Like if I was the Amazing. producer, I'd be like, oh, yeah. Amazing. So what do you want to know? That's yeah. it. What do you want to know? <laughs> Boom. And we're out. And all I kept thinking is I was like, man, what a, what a different way 
this doc is compared to the Jordan doc because this guy like has, has had this incredible like celebrated career and in any other movie like that's kind of the thing instead we end on like a tabloid sort of exploit which is a fascinating choice the right choice you're super into it it's like but I, I found myself thinking like man it's like I guess the reason people are watching this doc is because of all of the womanizing and obviously you know the cheating and sort of the need to or sexual exploits but I was just I felt like it took away from that moment in sort of a cheap way but ultimately why are we watching it it's because of what he did off off of the golf course I guess what did you guys think when you saw that moment I was loving it I was just like <laughs> I can't, I can't wait for for part 2 because you know you have that part of your your brain you want to get into the interesting stuff and if we're looking to examine someone's life you want it to be examined and get into all the facets of course, Michael Jordan's doc was a little bit different because Michael was a part of it and he signed off on it. Right. But Michael still got it, was able to get into the weeds because many years removed the competitiveness that he had, which which might have been toxic at the time. Years removed is looked at in more of a glowing light than adultery. But still, if we're getting into Tiger's life, I want to get into Tiger's life. And it, that was obviously a big thing that sucked me into this story because I wasn't a, a huge golf fan before. Although Tiger is transcendent uh, kind of player, it, this added a transcendent nature to the documentary and would make anyone want to watch it. So to not have it would feel so weird. Did it feel like a lot, like even though a lot of these things only happened like in some cases like less than 10 years ago, it felt like way longer ago. Did that did it feel like that to you? Like and even yeah. like the way they were like, holding press conferences and stuff like when tiger had to do the press conference where he apologized well, the cultural shift has been so so crazy over these last 10 years because they get into the part where the women were being villainized yeah too. it was like oh they're all hoes and all, that, all this language which today it's unfathomable and so much has changed in oh calling it like a cultural landscape like did you yeah, want to exactly. ruin his marriage it's like tiger ruined his marriage mm -hmm. like yeah. you know what i mean it's like and i think we've shifted like shane said we've shifted our thinking on where the blame lies in a lot of these yeah. situations it's like the monica lewinsky situation versus how it'd be handled today yeah, yeah just you know. the idea of like press conferences kind of feel quaint to me like yeah tiger like doing a press conference with like a room full of his like loved ones like his mom was there and then he like says sorry and then goes to hug his mom i thought that was weird also during so he comes back to play the masters after he's after the scandals happened and the the people who that run augusta national oh. and, and and they're kind of scolding him they and as him. oh and, and, shame. oh my god any other sport any other sport players doing this all the time football so nba racist. they would yeah. never get something like that it just felt so elitist well this is it and then as it's happening i was like this is making me cringe and would never happen and then of course i was happy they go right to brian gumble and a couple other talking heads going like that was like racist <laughs> you wouldn't be doing that to nick faldo you wouldn't be doing that to the other white golfers and it was like so condescending like tiger obviously owes an apology to his family but doesn't owe an apology to augusta fuck you tiger's made so much money for augusta and the sport of golf since he started you guys can go fuck yourself so i thought that was uh i'm glad they included that because yeah i, I, th I thought a lot of things even like uh, you know like the fraternizing like in new york city clubs and like the las vegas trips like i know players still go party in new york and la but there's something about it that like I don't like because of social media, social media has changed so much. I guess the way these guys need to be secretive if they want to go do that, that you, that just feels like a, a, from a different time again, even though it was like 10 years ago. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, I th- and I think people like, sometimes people will be like, and, th- and by the way, the, the character, like the national Enquirer guy, like who was like out of central casting, like he was almost like, <laughs> yeah, he was yes. like, he was so good. it was outrageous. <laughs> uh, that guy who played his role to a T, you know, I, I thought a lot about like, like, cause a part of you kind of goes like, ah, you know, like tiger obviously had a wife and he has these kids and that's who he needs to like honor. So all of this shit he gets up to is like devastating for them. You know what I mean? I'm like, but at the end of the day, it's like, he's not doing anything illegal ostensibly. You know what I mean? Like, like Max said, every one of these women was like, Hey, like my experience with them was like, you know what I mean? Like, yes, it was, it was an affair, but ultimately like he didn't, he didn't do anything abusive to me. Um, so then I started thinking like, you know, when the, when these tabloids go after these guys, like what is, like, why is he reveling in it so much? Like, why did the guy want to get him? And ultimately it's because Tiger lies about who he is, right? Mm, like Tiger presents himself yeah. as a certain, like um, a certain person of the public. It's basically marketing, right? It's like Nike marketing or whatever, McDonald's, all of these companies that he's with. And I think that's the thing that people are like the inauthenticity of who Tiger is, where it's like, you're, you're this golden boy and you get millions of dollars based on this image that you, pr- you present to America. But then behind the scenes, you're a creep, just like all these other athletes. And it's like, so I think maybe that's why they enjoyed sort of like exposing of it. You yeah, know. I mean, it's the same thing as Bill Cosby, you know, or any of these other kind of guys that sort of like build up a reputation as being Yeah, but like, Bill Cosby was a criminal. Oh, sure. Yeah, but sorry, I guess just that it was like so polar opposite of what the squeaky clean thing. But obviously, Bill Cosby is a criminal. They're, they're completely different categories. Just just yeah, in the, it, the building up of a persona is all I mean to say. Yeah, in a, in a weird way, it made us feel better when Tiger was doing all this because like, oh, he's human. He's not perfect because he seemed like a robot. Whereas the Bill Cosby thing totally dehumanized him. Sure, sure. Uh, did it make you guys? Um, obviously, you were just like, watching like super cuts of the greatest shots of all time <laughs> in golf. But oh. it made me uh, really appreciate golf differently. I don't know if I'll go sit down on a Sunday afternoon and like watch six hours of golf. That or, or even eh, did it make me want to play golf? Maybe it did. But um, the thing that I really loved about it, which I never really thought much about, was the pairings of golf that happens on the final day when it comes down to like the leaderboard. And I don't know exactly how it works. Maybe you guys do, but it's just like when Phil Mickelson and Tiger were like golfing together, when you get two guys, so because it's very much an individual sport, it's not like you're playing against somebody, but you are because you want to be the leader. You're aware of it psychologically mm-hmm. too, that if somebody's, you know what I mean? It can yeah, it's change. It's a huge mental game. Yeah. 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 So I loved thinking about, that aspect of golf, which I've never thought about, which is just like the, like two guys kind of going against each other and playing together, like, uh, which I thought was cool. And the other thing is just like the crowds walking the course behind Tiger. Like just the, I could watch that shot over and over and over again of Tiger walking down. The, yeah, that's the like fairway. your dream, right? And, and then just having a sea of people following him. And in the early days they were like right next to him. Like there was like no security guards. That was another thing that made the the doc feel like it was ancient. I was like, how are these people getting so close to Tiger Woods? That is crazy to me. So I, I really loved watching that. And it, it reminded me that I have some friends or, or maybe who, who did I? Or maybe I've heard Bill Simmons talk about going to Augusta. You have to check your phone in uh, and you're not allowed to have your phone on the, on the course. So for about like 10 hours, no one has their phone. And I think that's an interesting thought that you just don't see that that still exists there and you don't get to experience in life at any other time. Don't you think an easy workaround is just to bring two phones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you get caught, you get booted. Yeah. You're, you I know, saw you it got happen. amazing footage to sell the TMZ. We once went to, me and Danica once went to like some promo, Lumineers after they were on this pod, 
we got to go to like the mod club. It was like some promo show and they put our phones in sacks as they do at these shows. But then during like, Ho Hey, someone literally had their phone out filming and, and, and he stopped, he stopped singing mid song. He goes, stop, stop, stop. And he points at the guy and then everybody in the crowd, the mod club's not big. Everybody looks like towards the middle with this, this moron who brought in a second phone has his phone up and they all start booing the person. They all start, <laughs> Boo! and i'm like oh my god and um i i, I and he's going the singer is going no 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 he's like but, but dude like what are you doing like why'd you bring that in we specifically and he's trying to have a conversation with this guy in real time and it gets really uncomfortable and then that guy has to go like he's like he can stay but he's got to put his phone in the bag so the guy goes to the back he's like all right two three ho hey and they just kick back into the fucking song wait, i don't get the logic in that ho hey is their biggest song what are they trying to hide from people like it's not like a, it's not a comedy bit if ho hey gets out on the internet we'll be ruined it, it, in, in theory he was also filming all of their other stuff off the new record that they were premiering oh, okay i think yeah. also they're never artists, gonna top ho hey though no no no. i think artists are trying to like do this thing where they want people to live in the moment that i think uh, let alone them playing the new songs that they don't want to get well out. it was a moment all right <laughs> wow did you, okay, here's, a, here's a question. Would you guys have watched this doc if it was just... Because like you said, the, the golf stuff is amazing. His story alone is amazing without, say, like the extracurricular stuff, the tabloid stuff. Would you have watched a Last Dance style movie about Tiger Woods? 100%. But it's just a one-part movie yeah. then. Right. Yeah, it's a because the story of him being this like, child prodigy is amazing. Him coming back to win his last, his last Masters, that... that redemption story coming back from injury is amazing like that in itself and mm-hmm. his crazy dad uh you know the, the, the racial quality of yeah uh, if if they cut out all the hanky panky yeah then tiger would have been a part of it too yeah hey you got me thinking is there any um i just love the, the word hanky panky let's hanky-panky. just use that yeah. for it no really yeah. minimizes the uh the horrendous <laughs> cheating yeah it was so just, just a little hanky panky <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like pretty harmless in that respect. Yeah. Uh, when you say it like that, um, are there any um, doc? You know, obviously we're kind of in the golden age of documentaries right now. Like, you know, you talked about uh, who's the uh, dude who died on SNL that you like that doc, Mike oh, John Belushi. Yeah. yeah, Belushi doc. Obviously the Tiger doc. We're in the Bee Gees doc. Docs are being made about everybody. The MJ doc. Is there anybody who? And this doesn't need to be a blockbuster. It could just be like a personal interest. We're like, oh, I'd love a doc on this person and it hasn't been made yet. Is it like, it doesn't have to be from the world of sports. It could be an actor. It could be, you know, someone in Star Trek or something that yeah. might be you care about. But uh, <laughs> Marvin like, Gaye. Uh, Marvin Gaye. I want to see I want to see the definitive documentary on Marvin Gaye. He, he got killed by his good. dad, right? He did. He had a very yeah. tragic end, but he had so many hits and this, this awesome journey through music, like starting in like the late fifties, like through the sixties into seventies, and then a dip down, like basically an exile in Europe because of taxes. And then in the early eighties, another massive comeback with sexual healing. Like it's an insane, amazing, amazing story of him. Like ain't no mountain high enough. Like the duets, Barry Gordy, not wanting him to release what's going on uh, because it was too political, you know, and then him releasing it without Barry Gordy's, knowledge and it becoming like the number one hit of that year and then years later barry gory's like i'm glad we released it yeah of course because it made you tons of money but yeah marvin is uh it's a story that should be told but i i wondered why it hasn't been and i think like the family has to agree and then you know there's all the same sort of red tape but i feel like that's the big story that that people will really love once again sam cook would be a good one too i'm curious about him if there's not one out there why uh, does sam cook die in a 
car oh did he get killed by like a jealous other yeah. boyfriend or something no oh, no yeah. it wasn't it was marvin gay's dad actually no i thought it was a, a <laughs> he's on a rampage um but <laughs> it's it not was, funny but it is funny no it i believe he was killed by a hotel clerk mm. i believe but uh, also Owen Wilson, I'm fascinated by. Like there was that whole dark period of Owen's life. And obviously they've done a great job at burying it and him moving on. But maybe, you know. What was the dark period? Well, he had a suicide attempt. Oh, Owen Wilson. Yes, right. So, yeah. you know, like obviously in his lifetime, I, I don't think we'll ever learn anything about it. But maybe many, many years from now, they'll make a documentary on him. And I don't know. He's just been someone he, he's always fascinated me like he seems like just a goofball character and then he has this serious side and you know he was nominated for an oscar for for writing his his second screenplay or his third screenplay uh, and i just think it would be in the way that uh jim carrey had that documentary about him when he was doing the um what's what's that movie man on the moon uh, man the on Coffin the moon film yeah, yeah. Mm. whereas people you know thought jim carrey was just kind of a goofball's first part of his career and then realized he was wrestling other demons i find that fascinating yeah what about you, Max? Is there anyone on your list? Ooh, God. Um, geez, off the top of my head, um, I was listening to Brian Cranston on Smartless, I want to say, on that podcast. And I'm not, I like Brian Cranston. I, to be honest, I never watched all of what, what's his massive Breaking show? Breaking Bad. Oh, Malcolm in the Middle. No, Breaking Bad. Um, <laughs> and his. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I missed delivery. the joke. I was a little delayed on the joke because literally I was reading a note that got sent through, but it still got in my ears. And then uh, I'm just I'm just apologizing <laughs> to Shane because you know I, I left him hanging there on a funny joke. No, that was Max's joke. I made the joke. You said Malcolm in the Middle, Max. That's I what I Malcolm thought was so funny. You slipped it in so pro. Oh that, well, now now yeah. I apologize to Max. <laughs> no. I'll take a bow. Uh, but his his upbringing is interesting because I think he came from a pretty broken family and sort of un anytime someone comes from un unreliable parents and then ends up like becoming something, I'm always so fascinated by that. Um, so I think like any, any of that kind of story also, like I'm sure I'm forgetting, like I'm not thinking of the best example, but I feel like there's some like great um, like baseball players that like grew up like with nothing in the Dominican Republic and then had a great career and then have done stuff afterward, like that kind of thing where it's just like you've gone from to live in so many different kinds of like levels of class and you've rolled in so many different kinds of circles. I, th I think that is so fascinating when you come from one place and then along the way you hit every single place. I think that's why like, um, you know, Dr. Dre's story is obviously very interesting. He he's a very imperfect guy. But uh, they got into it in that um, the chosen ones what was that documentary with um, defiant ones, defiant ones. So I think so. Like that kind of stuff is good. I'm trying to think if there's anybody like that would really like kind of hit home and resonate with me personally that I like that is worthy of a documentary. Mm, I think about that. But uh, yeah, to Tom Hanks is another guy who who I think came from kind of a complicated upbringing. I I mean a documentary done right will be interesting about anybody but but tom hanks feels like he's got a bit of like a neil armstrong problem like they made that movie first man with like ryan gosling as neil armstrong and as i was watching the film like they needed to make this movie with buzz aldrin who is vastly more interesting than neil armstrong like it's you know point a to point b without much delineation in the middle and i feel like tom unless he does have some sort of childhood trauma like it just feels like really nice guy awesome at his job becomes successful yeah sure fair enough but i mean yeah brian cranston Maybe he's he's the better version of Tom Hanks because 
He's also thought of as a really nice guy, but like I think was trying to be a firefighter, and then he actually got success much later in career, in his career. Yeah. He's been with the same woman though for twenty seven years, so I guess that's kind of boring. 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 <laughs> <laughs> boring. Well, let's talk about the Bee Gees doc then, real quick. I know we're kind of getting on here in time. Well, but, maybe uh, we bounce the Bee Gees doc today, unless we just want to do quick thoughts. How about how about we how about everybody gives quick thoughts? Unless I'm cool to hang. Let, let, let's do yeah. a bit on the beach just for for a minute here because because uh, I think it relates to what we're talking about. The Marvin Gaye story I think is is similar to the BG story where basically you know they have this really awesome career. Actually, you set it up, Mike. You, you, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, so we all watch this BG doc uh, that is also on Crave. Um, and again, like it's like it's one of those bands that people know the Bee Gees. They kind of like float out, but they're not like held in the same regard as like the Beatles or the Beach Boys or the Rolling Stones or any of these classic sort of groups uh, that you could think of throughout the years. They're just kind of known like maybe mostly as like the Saturday Night Fever band, like Staying Alive. That's kind of the song that people associate with them. But if you go through sort of and span the you realize that they sort of like they have this whole 60s catalog that is very much of the time of the Beatles and sort of like orbited around there in the late 60s and then into the 70s. They kind of have more rock and stuff. And then they kind of shift to disco in the late 70s. There's kind of like a bit of a blowback. But when you go on that journey, I don't know. I, I thought it was really sort of fascinating, compelling Uh but to me, the heart of the doc is ultimately like the story of the brothers and sort of the inability of um, Barry and Maurice or Barry and Robin not to get along and then Maurice sort of being the middleman. Like that's what makes the story unique. How many stories do we have of bands becoming famous and then having a downfall and then rising back up? You know, it's like a classic mm-hmm. sort of arc. I just, I, I love the story of the brothers and how that changed the nature of their their band, right? I mean, Timberlake says in the doc, three brothers that harmonize is an instrument that no one else in the world can play. Or maybe it was Noel Gallagher. It was Noel Gallagher that actually said it in the doc. And I thought that was like, that to me informed what made the the documentary so compelling. What'd you think, Shaney Boy? Yeah, I was I was fascinated just by uh, like like kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. How much better looking Barry was <laughs> than the other two guys. It was so un- unfair. It, it was it's ridiculous. Like he he had so so much. He had the voice and the looks. And Robin seemed to really resent him for being the front man. It seemed like Robin really wanted to be the yes. front man, but especially at that time. It wasn't like these days where 1975 can have kind of a, a different eccentric looking dude be the, the front man. At that time, you had to be that Robin uh, look or sorry, that uh, Barry Gibb look. And, and then the for Robin, man. they're like, oh, he had that very unique quivery voice. And he's like, ah. And, and then so you're like, you're like, ah, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's definitely interesting. But I'd still, but it's like, I think it's a testament to Barry being brothers with Robin. He's like, okay, we'll, we'll split the front man duties. But like you said, it's so clear that Let's Barry's- let the people decide. Let's let the women decide. Let's <laughs> be the front man. <laughs> I'll be fair. Yeah. What I lo- a couple things I really loved about it. Number one, um, the a couple anecdotes really stick out in like the like the sort of top shelf rock and roll tales of how a song was written. Uh, one being, it's like we were in Miami and we were driving over the bridge and it was click 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 It's like oh that's the beat and then and then they go to the song and it kind of sounds like bridges rule. It was it was jive talking. Jive talking. I was like okay that's fucking. Do you think that's true or revisionist history? Who gives a shit though? It's great. Do you want to believe it, Max, as a songwriter? Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. And and by the way, sometimes like you know, great ideas come from stupid little tiny observations. So the 
other thing which I loved, um, because when you're listening to the Bee Gees uh, songs from the 60s, early 70s, they, it just kind of sounds like classic Britpop from that era. It sounds so different than what I think of the Bee Gees, which is all the disco stuff in the later 70s. So you go like, why does it sound so different? It's like not just because the recording technology's changed. It actually sounds like a different band. And then they go into this anecdote about how they just needed to like lay down an outro, and the producer's like, "Hey, go give me something in the in the vocal booth, and just just mix it up. Try to do something a little different." And then Barry, I think, or who yeah. is it, Barry? It Barry starts falsetto. singing in falsettos. And then everybody, and then of course it's like when we all got goosebumps and we all looked at each other. <laughs> we're like, "This is the sound." And then it cuts to them playing massive stadiums. And we're like, "Because we like did that, then we we're the biggest band in the world." So I thought that was interesting. I love those anecdotes. I also thought it was interesting how, uh, because of the way information shared back then, it's obviously pre-social media, pre like cable television to a degree, is that the Bee Gees are on the like their biggest career uh, tour of their career. Meanwhile, in Chicago. They're burning their records and they didn't know. I, I think that is so fucking awesome that like the world was disconnected in that way. That one, the two exact opposite things were happening at once and the other party not really have any fucking clue about it. I thought that was great. Well, I thought, I thought Chris Martin said something very interesting uh, mm. when he was talking about. So yeah, there's this huge backlash to disco and they burn, there's a riot like in Chicago at the baseball field or whatever, where they're burning the records. And then the BJs realize like, they're like, oh my God, like radio stations aren't going to play our record. And they sort of have to go through this whole thing that no one had been through. And Chris Martin is like, he's like, listen, he's like, we know what it's like to become the biggest band in the world. And then everybody hates you. And then you kind of come back and you sort of, he's like, we know what that's like because we saw it before. He's like, but imagine being the BGs who are literally like, what the fuck is going on? Like, we just became the biggest band in the world. Like, I thought we were supposed to be having, now they all hate us. Like, it must have been so bizarre to go through in that kind of way, which now seems just kind of like part of the cycle of being one of the biggest bands in the world, whether it's like, oh, mm. fuck you two or fuck that band. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. kind of oh, how totally. people view Coldplay. Yeah. Well, um, the other, um, I think I was trying to think about it. I was like, okay, I, I know this band much better now. And I and I feel way more emotionally connected to them. And as you were pointing out, is like the, the real story is the brotherhood. And obviously, like the youngest brother dying. Like there's so much like tragedy. Eight, eight, it, like eight months after or eight weeks after they had him join the band, he died. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and by the way, I didn't know that that was his younger brother. I didn't really, I never really heard of him. Or maybe I'd heard of him before. Yeah. Um, what's his name again? Andy? Andy. Uh, but yeah, very sad that he passed away because Barry even said Andy was like his twin, even though he was the young. Like they're both the, hot. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both, same voice, hockey. like yeah. same looks, like, yeah, very, very fascinating. So, okay. I, and I was thinking, but I was like, okay, I care more about this band. Uh, I respect this band way more than I ever have. But I was like, why do I still think there's something empty in their music? And then you kind of go through the tales of how all the songs are written and they're not about anything or anything important. And, and like, tell me if you guys disagree. But like, usually when you hear this backstory of like why Springsteen wrote a song or why U2 writes a song or why the Beatles write a song, you're like, oh, that's about John's dead mother or that's about the plight of the working class here. And you just kind of go like, there was no stories in that documentary where you're like, oh, this is actually about something that's really heavy. It was just kind of like there were these like songwriting machines that love to be rich. It really felt like more of like a modern sensation of like these modern songwriters that like 
don't really feel that connected to personal feelings and are just amazing at writing fucking massive hooks. And they're just I pros. pros. They're just fucking work. pros. They they felt like they didn't really give a shit about the art. They're just like, we are born to be excellent at this thing. Anyway, let's fucking party because we're the best. Like it kind of <laughs> felt like that a little bit. Would you guys agree? Yeah. No, I you know, and I hadn't pinpointed that. There wasn't one real good like sort of connective tale about how a song came about you know the what i mean bridge like bridge story are you kidding <laughs> <laughs> or, or like you said it's all the bridge it's all sonic it's all sonic it's like oh this noise got you know and then we got off on this it's like it's like they they really enjoyed like finding tricks of the craft they're craftsmen yeah and i respect that yeah like expert craftsmen but there was no like you said sort of like well, this song, my first girlfriend left me in runes and I, my whole first record's about that. You know, there wasn't a lot of connective tissue there. No one's yeah, leaving Barry. <laughs> <laughs> no one's leaving that guy. Look at that chest. Look at that hair <laughs> he on his no chest. no stories of failure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think they tried to say at one point, like Saturday night. Do they have a song? Is it Saturday Fever or something? And I think Stay Barry- alive. Yeah. Staying alive or something like I think they tried to sort of shoehorn in this idea that this like it was about it was about New York City in the late seventies and stuff was going on and that's what Saturday Night Fever and you're like, like people I were don't just know. trying people were just trying to survive yeah, and yeah. it's like oh, okay staying alive <laughs> okay, yes yeah, 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 that's a good older Barry yeah oh that, thank that you voice. <laughs> <laughs> well the, to me the most poignant thing and this is a major sto- spoiler alert and I'd mentioned this um, to you Max already was. The, the doc in some ways was kind of like this fascinating journey through the career, but at times, like you said, there wasn't a lot of connection to like the soul of sort of what, what they feeling, what they were other than the craft. But at the very end, when Barry, who's now the last brother standing, Robin, Maurice and Andy have all passed away. And he just sort of said they're sitting like in the Miami, like coastline at his mansion. And he said, I would give back all the songs if I could just have like another day with my brother. I'm paraphrasing, but something along those lines. And I was like, that was the, fr- that was the only time in the doc where I got emotional totally totally hit me hard and it actually kind of makes me think of the tiger thing where they kept on asking like do you want 100 wins or 17 masters or 17 mm-hmm. what are they yeah. called again the, the, the jack yeah majors the 17 majors to catch jack nicholas yeah it was like do you want to like change your baby's what's harder change your baby's diaper or hitting a fucking two shot mm-hmm. or whatever and then tiger always kind of answered in a weird way that made me uncomfortable barry did the opposite barry made me like him more so but I guess, too, if you did get the brothers back, you could, and all those songs were wiped away, you could recreate all the songs and have like a hundred hits at once. Like, all right, boys, let's get to work. Yeah. I don't know how you've reappeared, but boys, we're going to be rich. 